It's great to be here. Indonesia, one of the five most populous nations in the world. And uh, it's over there right above Australia. Some of us might know the general area, but give you a, a big picture there. As we zoom on in, here are 16,000 islands that make up the nation of Indonesia. If you look on this one, uh, right next to, oops, next slide. There we go. Right next to the word Indonesia, you'll see Makassar. See that little tiny city right there? That is where our Indonesia team is studying the Indonesian language right now. So there and uh, where this post is, is where my wife and I spent five years on the island of Pap or the province of Papua, formerly Irian Jaya or Dutch New Guinea. And while I was there, I was a missionary pilot and flying around was by hand-drawn maps. And as you zoom on in, hard to see much. But nowadays, I'm like old school. Nowadays, they have GPS that tells you exactly where things are. No more of these hand-drawn maps. As a matter of fact, we lived in an isolated village, cut off from the rest of the world. No roads, no paths. You can see how the rivers wind because it's so flat uh, and it slowly winds on out. But recently, somebody flew by in that little patch and took a picture of the village where we lived. And uh, as a matter of fact, right there, pretty much the middle of the sh your screen is the house that we lived on this little tiny place right in the middle of nowhere. And after arriving, my uh, wife and I went and met some people from the, the next village. And um, when I, I met them, the guy said, oh, this guy, Kevin, over here, he's eaten people before. Well, that's kind of weird. You know, I wondered how he introduced himself at parties, if that was like the first line or, or what. But there's this, this thing called cannibalism. And it made me think back just 20 years before we got there. I read a book called Lords of the Earth, where this tribe uh, attacked missionaries as they were traveling nearby, killed them and ate them. Now, cannibalism isn't something you do for sustenance. It's more of a spiritual thing. And me being the goofy kind of guy, I had to picture it really well with my son involved. And um, my wife almost left me over this picture. My son was screaming, crying, and we got the guys sinking their teeth into his body. No, they weren't eating him. They were just dressed up for some kind of uh, play or uh, some kind of activity, not a play that they were putting on. But Agangan over on the right was a real character and couldn't get him to stop laughing. I said, no, cannibalism is serious. Play the part. And he just couldn't do it. But um, cannibalism was a real thing. And... No, it wasn't for sustenance. They didn't go look for people to eat. They were looking for this spiritual power. They were aware of a spirit realm. And like Randy Newman said last week, if you were here, he talked about everyone longing for something more. And these people knew that they, were, they didn't have things right with the spirit world. And they'd appease spirits by doing certain things. And then killing somebody in battle and then eating them was their way of getting some more of this, this spirit power. Now, I certainly don't believe that, and to see them change when the gospel went in was really cool. Interesting enough, we're going to be looking at the passage today where Jesus calls himself the bread of life, and Christians today we have communion, talking about eating, partaking of Jesus' body and his blood. 
the early church, 100, 200 AD, were accused of being cannibals because of a misunderstanding of what this passage was really talking about. And I'm sure most of you have never been accused of being a cannibal in any way, but my wife and I did get some weird looks once on that topic. We had been in Indonesia about three or four months, and we were sharing with our, our house helper, and yes, we had a house helper, and that was assumed to be good and helpful to the economy. And we had about three, four months of Indonesian under our belt so we could make some sentences. So we have an in-depth conversation with our house helper. So we opened up our wedding pictures. We had been married for just a year and showed her, here's what we wear in weddings in the States. And here is my parents and here's my wife's parents. And going through the pictures showed the reception. She says, okay, what do you eat at Indonesian weddings? Well, our wedding, it was simple. We just ate finger sandwiches. That didn't translate really well over to the Indonesian language. And her eyes got really big. You ate finger sandwiches? It realized our Indonesian needed a little help. And probably the phrase finger sandwich isn't one of those that transfers real well. But she got over it and uh, we didn't eat any more finger sandwiches in front of her. What are we talking about this morning? We're going to the book of John, and you'll see where I'm going with this cannibalism thing. Jesus has fed 5,000 people in the first part of the chapter 6, probably 20,000 people. They've seen this great miracle. And they're also wrestling with this physical versus the spiritual. And when Greg finished his sermon two weeks ago, his last phrase or last verse was talking about not working for the food that is physical, that decays, that spoils, but working for the, towards the eternal. And God shows himself in the physical and the spiritual. Now, just so you know, we're going to be covering about 30 verses today. We're going to go really fast. I'm a big picture kind of guy. If that frustrates some of you, that's wonderful. Out on the counter there, we have Beyond the Message. You can grab a sheet, and it goes Monday through Friday. It goes a little bit more in-depth in this passage. But we're really going to be looking at Jesus as the bread of life. So much so that we want all of us, as we understand that, that to live out this gospel so that we must use words. We're going to see that as Jesus lived out this gospel himself. We're going to go on over to John 6 and just read the first three verses, uh, 28, 29, 30, oops, four verses, 28 through 41. John 6, 28, there's pew Bibles there if you want them. Then he said to them, what must we do? The Jews are asking Jesus this question to be doing the works of God. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So in this first little bit, Jesus is responding to questions. They've gathered around. Some of them are probably there for the feeding of the 5,000. Others have certainly heard about it. And Jesus is starting these spiritual conversations. 
Now, over in Indonesia, it was easy to start spiritual conversations. Right away, they'd ask you, where do you worship? And tell me about your, your religion. Here in the States, uh, it's getting easier to talk about spiritual things. Just talk about ghosts if you want, if you want to. Or different ideas out there. Um, people are more willing to talk about that than they have in the past. But in, these, in this passage... They have these questions. What must we do? What sign will you give? Which is interesting because he's just fed the 5,000. They've heard about this. Kind of asking these questions and Jesus just says, well, believe. And he encourages this dialogue. He uh, wants this discussion. Last week we had the uh, visiting speaker Randy Newman come and share he has written a book, several books, but one of them called Questioning Evangelism. And by that, he means that we should learn to ask questions. Those of us who are followers of Christ, when people ask spiritual questions, what are they really asking? Jesus kind of responds and leaves it open a little bit. Randy Newman said sometimes we shouldn't even answer a question. Let's ask her with a, answer with another question to get at the heart of what they are really asking. I think people are longing for more. But sometimes we get argumentative. We want to hold our position. How do we respond? How do we engage people? And you say, people say, Kevin, I, I don't know how to start and have these spiritual conversations. And it ends up in this argument. And people get upset. Uh, can you help me out? Absolutely. Here at Olive Branch, we offer a 10-week class, and it's called How to Talk to an Atheist. And it's not the atheist that has a problem with talking. It's Christians. We're known to try, of trying to shove our information down their throat. We're known as being combative in the process. We don't know how to have these spiritual conversations. Take this class. You'll learn some answers, but how do you ask those questions to really get to the heart of what is bothering them? And you know what? Something is bothering them. People that aren't following Christ, I firmly believe they are longing for something more. And the point is, like Jesus did, point them to Jesus. We have all these lofty arguments and people come to me and say, Kevin, I'm talking with this person. They're an agnostic, don't really believe the, uh, you know, what we understand in truth, certainly aren't Christians. And they ask me a question on this topic way over here. And my question is, what do they think of Jesus? What do they believe about Jesus? Here's this historical figure. What do they believe? So get back to who Jesus is. And as Jesus responds... He's pointing to himself. And some of us say, I'm not really good at this. As I engage people, they ask me questions that I don't even know the answer to. I've got some help for you. I don't know if I've shared, but we have a class here at Olive Branch called How to Talk to an Atheist. And we can help you in responding to questions. When I first came here, a lot of people said, Kevin, you're outreach pastor. Help us. And... We provide this class and people say, well, I don't really want to go to a class. That's just kind of work. Well, it takes an effort. If we are to love God and to love our neighbor, we need to be exploring this. Let's learn from what Jesus did and how he responded 
to questions. Now let's read John 6, 32 through 34. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus not just responds to the crowd, but our second point, Jesus engages the crowd. Not just responding, but look at their answer. They're starting to get pulled into a good conversation. He connects right where they are. They believe in God. These are Jews. So let's start at a point of connection. You believe in God. Then let's start talking about, they ask questions about manna and Moses in the past and the, the, the bread from heaven. And here is Jesus responding. Some of you say, well, how do I have that conversation if they don't believe in God? Where's a good starting point? Well, I don't know if I shared, but we have this class here called How to Talk to an Atheist. And we uh, offer that three times a year. And it helps you. How do I learn to connect? One way is just through what is right and what is wrong. I've yet to talk to one person, they're probably out there, that believe that ISIS is right. What makes them wrong? Why? Let's ask some questions and get to the heart of that and see if we have some ground, uh, familiar ground. What about history? Randy Newman pointed last week, music. What is it that we can connect with and explore a little deeper about the existence of God and then uh, who Jesus is? But what is really phenomenal about this passage is that they want more. They didn't stop the conversation. They said, give us this bread always. Well, Jesus now has a platform. He's responded to questions. He's engaged them. Do they say, we want more? So Jesus goes into Roman, uh, excuse me, uh, John 6, verse 35 through 40. And if you are a follower of Christ, this is a phenomenal passage. Here is our Savior clearly articulating who he is, who he, his Father is, and why he came. Listen to this. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Bold statements, and by the way, there's absolutely no way Jesus said it like that. The way I said it is the way I often read it. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. No stinking way. This is a bold statement. Jesus says, I am. I am the bread of life. I have come down from heaven. He didn't kind of just prance around, say, I'm the bread of life. It's kind of a boring, but this is theology. Let's just get through it. No, this is phenomenal stuff. I am the bread of life. 
It is a father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Oh, I'm already down to the third one. Sorry. I am the bread of life, and he shouts this. He states it clearly. He is here proclaiming the truth. Um, for my father's will, he's stating who his father is in the process. There's no doubting who Jesus is in this. And he's saying to them, I am who you've been waiting for. It's my father's will. You can't, from this point, and probably question before this, but from this point on, you can't say as a Jew, as anybody else, I'm religious, but I don't really pay attention to this Jesus person. No, he says, I am it. I am either the Lord, or I don't know, some of you believers have heard this. If you're not a follower of Christ, um, it, it's been phrased this way. When Jesus makes these bold statements, either he is come down from heaven or he's a liar who is claiming to be God. He keeps saying, I've come down to heaven. I will raise people up. That can only happen if you're God. By the way, he was crucified for blasphemy. He is claiming to be God. There's none of this. People will just said this about him. He claimed to be God. He was either a liar or he was a lunatic who walked around claiming to be God and he wasn't and he, he thought he was. So one, a liar knows he's not God but was saying this to get good things or he was a crazy person. How many of you know somebody you'd say, oh, they're a good person it's just that every time I talk to them, they claim to be God and claim to do miracles. We don't interact like that. People who claim to be God, claim to do miracles, they are either who they said they were or a liar or a lunatic. And as followers of Jesus, we believe that he was the Lord. He was Jesus Christ. This separates us from all other religions. From this passage alone, we can no longer say, well, you know what, all religions are the same. No, they're not. If Jesus is not the bread of life, the one and only Son of God, Christianity is completely wrong, so let's follow all the other religions. Or if all the religions say they're right, but Jesus is the bread of life, then everything else is wrong. This is a standalone passage about our Savior where he is screaming out who he is and not leaving it up for somebody else's interpretation. If you do not know who Jesus Christ is, if you haven't chosen to follow him, pursue this passage. Read it. Reach deep. Because there is much here. And look, is, is the Bible true? Ask those questions. But pursue this. Because either Jesus was right in the Son of God, or he was wrong, and the rest of us are wasting our time here on Sunday mornings. And as followers of Christ... What does Jesus mean when he says, I am the bread of life? Doesn't he mean that he alone is the Son of God, that he is sustenance? We are to live for him and he is to sustain us. What does that mean? What does that mean? A lot of times we'll say, well, Jesus really sustains me through tough times. No, he sustains us at all times. He is the bread of life, and we need to be pursuing him. We cannot just wait for him at the, the bad times or when we feel like we need him. Now, after Jesus made these really bold statements, he goes on and repeats it. Just in case your hearts are hardened, 
just in case you've missed this. I'm going to read verses 41 through 52. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And once again, he says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they, um, well, they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever, and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They're starting to grumble and dispute things, because he is saying these things again. Here is my Father's will, that he has sent me the Son. I am the bread of life. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And they are grumbling. I think we're seeing their hardened hearts. They're asking these questions and they're not really pursuing. Well, we know his parents, so he couldn't have come from heaven. And he's saying, eat his body. Oh, that's kind of weird. Now, the Jews were aware that cannibalism is wrong. It's written about in the Old Testament. Um, They would know he's not saying come and skewer me and partake of my body in some physical sense. Um, Jesus is speaking in a metaphor, and we can understand that. I think they wanted to miss that there. People were aware of God. They mentioned who his father draws to him through creation. People are aware of God through music, through simply longing for more. God continues to draw people to himself and he uses us to speak those words of truth. In the last little bit here, uh, verses 53 through 59, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whatever feeds on my flesh, or whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and as I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. He is walking again, even more bold claims. I am the bread of life. And he says this. As he started, he responded to questions. He's engaging his audience. Now he is proclaiming the truth. He's saying, you need to repent. You have no life in you. You're going the wrong direction. The Father sent me 
wake up to this. And you can see he goes on even further. You need to see me as absolute sustenance for food and for drink. As I mentioned before, as the early church wrote on this, they wrote about communion and partaking of the bread, and they were assumed by some people to be cannibals. Obviously, that was not the case, but those rumors were going around. And the Jews here as well confused the physical metaphor for the spiritual. They were missing that. But you know what? A lot of us do that as well. When people talk to me, they say, well, I'm mad at God because things here on earth aren't happening like they are supposed to in heaven. Well, yes, because you're misunderstanding that God's work completes in heaven here on earth We are broken people living in a broken world and it's not going to look like heaven at all. In the same way Jews misunderstood the physical and the spiritual, cannibals misunderstood that as well. They were thinking the physical gets them to the spiritual. Jesus is using this, the physical, as a metaphor so we would understand absolute sustenance as being in him and in him alone. You know, Jesus' disciples got it. These are heavy words. They understood it, and it was tough. I'd encourage you to come back next week as we go through the rest of John 6, because it's not always pretty. Jesus, some of Jesus' disciples did not like those words. Heavy stuff. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think we need to learn how to respond to questions that our neighbors have in a good conversational way. I think we also like our point number two. We need to learn how to engage our neighbors. And at some point, if we love our neighbors, we need to proclaim the truth. We are told to love God and love our neighbors. Well, we can do good things for our neighbors, but hopefully we do things so that we have to use words and proclaim the truth of this message. Well, we're taking this this little passage here in John. Well, we have to look at it in context. Well, I think in context, people, one, would say, well, cannibalism is gross, but also that they were longing for more. And all throughout the book of John, Jesus say, I have come down from heaven, and you who are following me are my witnesses. To a hurting world. You know, at some point, somebody shared the good news of Jesus Christ with you. God wants us to be sharing that good news with others. This passage is about loving God as our bread of life. What about loving our neighbor as ourself? As Greg ended last week with verse 27 in John uh, John 6, don't work for the food that perishes. In March... We're sending a team of young folks and some parents over to Haiti for a missions trip. You know what? We're going to work in an orphanage. You know why? Because our hearts break for orphans. To see kids separated from their parents or not having parents and growing up and uh, somewhat isolated from what we might call a normal life, our hearts break. But don't lose the spiritual from the physical. If it breaks for people on earth, what about our neighbors who are spiritual orphans? 
who are separated from their heavenly father. Why don't we weep over our neighbors like we do for orphans? Because we get focused in on the physical and we miss the spiritual. Don't miss the spiritual. God sent Jesus to save us. He lived among the disciples and he left and left the task for us to reach others. We are his ambassadors. We are part of his change agents in this world. As a matter of fact, John 17, um, in verse 18, he said, as the Father sent me into the world, so I send you. That is our role. And this video here is pretty powerful. This is the church. Now, this video wasn't saying we shouldn't have buildings, we shouldn't have meetings, uh, we shouldn't gather together on Sunday. The point was, let's gather together in this building with this wonderful worship music, and we're built up in loving God so that we go out and love our neighbor, and we love our neighbor with this good news. Inside your bulletin today, there is a flyer. It's got both sides and talks about how we want to help you, all of us, to do this. What does it mean to be a neighbor? Well, first is to get to know them before you even start spiritual conversations. So there's a little flyer where you can map out your eight closest neighbors who don't know Jesus and simply start praying for them. Get your small group to pray for them. But put... Put that out for the Lord in prayer and say, man, I want to, to, to connect with them. We have a class at 10 o'clock, Ignition, where we sit and talk about different ways. How do we just get to know our neighbors? After that, how do we start spiritual conversations and connect with them? Um, but first to pray. And you know what? We all need prayer. This is a physical task with spiritual implications. If Jesus is our bread of life, we need to lean on him. And tonight, we're going to have a prayer meeting from 6.30 to 8 in the kids' block right over here, just an hour and a half, and we're going to pray for us as we get out and we are the church to our neighborhoods. We're also going to pray for our missionaries around the world. We're also going to pray for those who are living in places where the church is persecuted, I'm going to pray, play a one-minute video for you, and you'll likely be convicted on what they ask prayer for. So we're going to join in in praying for the persecuted church and for the rest of us. When we see that, they don't say pray for safety. Like the disciples, they want boldness. Not because they want to be persecuted but because Jesus is worth it they really believe that Jesus is the bread of life and that story must absolutely go out as we learn to depend on God we want to we want to love it we want to live it we want to share it and this is a tough task all of you are saying, well, this is really uncomfortable to meet these people and I have kind of a tiff with the one neighbor you know, Jesus' life wasn't comfortable. It was uncomfortable and sacrificial. Why should we expect more? But we go out because we are to love our neighbor. 
and also because Jesus was worth it. He is our sustenance. Jesus is the bread of life. Little reminder, it's not Hillary and it's not Donald. We're going to be meeting together next Sunday and the Sunday after that. And life's going to go on regardless of the, the election. Because Jesus is the eternal bread of life. And we are to love God with all of our hearts and share that great message with others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that clarifies these things for us. There is no equivocating on who Jesus is. Thank you for sending your son for us because our sins were so great. And God, as we look at this and look how Jesus was ridiculed, ultimately killed. God, help us to fall more in love with you and your sacrifice for us. And as we do that, help us to love our neighbor. Help us to take this passage from John 6, which is great news for us, but it's given so that it can be great news for others. Father, we're not perfect. We don't have the right words to say, but help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto you and share that with others. In Jesus' precious name, amen.